Good to see you guys today. I hope you had a good spring break. You looked wonderful in your mustaches. I'm just going to jump straight into it. Who in here knows my wife? Okay, so her name is Eden. I love Eden. I uh, met Eden in 2015, I think. And Isn't that crazy? And uh, anyway, we met in Oklahoma. So I remember the first time. Huh? What did you say? I was, it was interesting. You looked excited about it. Okay. No, I just thought it was, like, good. I thought you, like, lived in Oklahoma. All right. This is bad. This is a bad start. I'm already getting distracted. So the first time I ever brought Eden home to meet my parents was July the 4th, 2016. Why do I remember that? Because, first of all, when you go to college and you bring a girl home, it's, like, very seriously. It's very serious. Everybody just assumes, like, oh, you're going to get married. And in this case, they were right. But... It's never, it never is always like that. So anyway, I brought her home and we were having this July 4th party. So I was excited because like, oh shoot, Eden's going to meet my whole family. But even better, we are going to have like this, um, this like game we played and a lot of my high school friends were there. So I was like killing two birds with one stone. This girl from, you know, this life I'm living now gets to meet my family and she gets to meet all my friends. But we had this terrible idea to play a wiffle ball game. Everybody say wiffle ball. Why is that a bad idea? Because the only thing that competes with God himself and my family is baseball. And we are so competitive in the graph house. So I don't know why we thought like, oh, this is going to be a good idea. So uh, Rico Lerma, y'all know Rico? He sings and plays with us. Okay, so he was at the house that day. And we were playing. And I was on my dad's team, thank God, because my dad's like the most competitive. And so... It was me and my dad and some other people that are not important to the story versus my brother Michael and Rico. And everything was cool. Eden and my mom were just sitting on the sidelines. She had never seen our family interact before. It was all good until, if I say until, last inning. Okay, I'm not making this up. I wish Rico was here to vouch for me. Last inning. (laughs) It's like a, a close game. And I'm not competitive unless I'm losing. So it's like a close game and Rico's up to bat. By some miracle, he gets a hit. He hits it straight up the middle, kind of, you know, goes to first, rounds the base to try to get to second base. My dad fields the ball. My dad's like 60, well, at this point, he's like 58 years old. Like, why are you doing this? And this is not fun. No, I'm not going to tell you. Okay, so he he grabbed the ball in center field, right? And in wiffle ball, you could peg him. So Rico... <laughs> Rico is getting to the sec- second base, and my dad throws it, and it's, like, hard to see. Did the ball hit him, or did Rico hit the base? Did Rico hit the base? Did the ball hit him? Which came first, right? And, and when you're in sports, you're just kind of biased to whatever team you're on. So my brother's in the dugout, whatever, and he sees the play, and he's like, oh, safe! And literally, as quick, I hope I don't get fired for telling you this story, as quick as my brother could say safe, my dad from center field goes, liar, and just starts charging at my brother. And as soon, I'm, I'm not making this up, and my mom's on the side with Eden, and as soon as my dad's like, liar, my mom's like, Jim. And everyone is just congregating, yelling at each other. And I look at Eden, who doesn't know any of us, and she looked at me, and she was like, what's going on? And I was like, ah, this isn't how we normally are. That really happened. Do you ever get in a situation? You didn't expect it to, like, go south so fast? And you're just like, what is going on? I say that, I don't know, this is a very long way, and I just kind of wanted to tell the story. But I'm making the point, um, a lot of people get in a real relationship with God, 
and they think like, oh, I'm walking with the Lord now. Everything's going to be perfect. But like what they don't know is when you actually like join God's team, now you have the devil against you and he's going to come at you like a hundred times harder. So you get into this walk with God and you're like, it's going to be great. And then it don't take long till you're in this place where you're like, what is going on? Why is everything going so bad? Or, or like, why do I feel like so much is coming against me? And it's because you are in a war. Everybody say a war. It doesn't take long to realize living for God it's honestly more of a battleground than it is a playground. It's no joke. We're in a spiritual war, but we're given spiritual weapons. Did you know in the Bible, we are given something called the armor of God? Raise your hand if you've ever heard of the armor of God. Okay, good. So we're given the armor of God, and in this series, we're starting a series called Winning the War for Your World. It was like winning the war for your world. In this series, we're going to talk about like what our weapons are to actually fight against the devil who wants to honestly like ruin your life. And that sounds like negative, but I'm serious. Like the devil would love nothing than to see your life crash and burn. So we're talking about this series, talking about how to use the armor. We're going to do it three weeks and, uh, you know, divide it in three weeks. But here's where we're going today. Here's today's journey. Three things. You got the underlined part. We're going to talk about where the battle, how the devil and where believers, one more time, where the battle, how the devil, where believers, here's the, great job, here's the verses that uh, we're going to study today, I'm going to read them all first, Ephesians 6, 10 through 13, you got the underlined part, Paul's writing, he says a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty, put on all of God's, so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. I feel like I just need to pray real quick. I'm going to pray and then we're going to get into it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. God, I know that uh, your word is powerful, but it's only as powerful as um, we are if we're willing to listen and obey it. So God, let your word fall on soft hearts today. Let us approach it with humility and confidence that if we obey your word, you really will uh, lead us in the life that you've created for us. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So let's talk about first where the battle starts. Did you notice verse 12? I'm going to read it one more time. Verse 12, he says this. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities of the... Paul says, our real battle isn't really fighting the things that we can see. We're fighting spiritual battles, spiritual things. Let me give you a list of things that are, spirit, uh, that are spirits. Uh, it's not a complete list. It's a quick list, but here you go. Uh, for instance, fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 says that fear is a spirit. Confusion. You're like, I just thought I was dumb. No. That's funny. Confusion. Isaiah 19.4. It's a spirit. Jealousy. Numbers 5.30. It says it's a spirit. And the spirits, listen, the spirits make things happen down here. But down here is not where the battle actually starts. So if you want to solve the problem, you got to go to where the problem starts. This affects you... More than you think. Let me just give an example, okay? Because in high school, I feel like this is a relevant example. Let's say, for some reason, all of your friends 
are in a relationship. And for whatever the reason, your love life is dried in the mug. Like the people that you're interested in aren't interested in you. The people that are interested in you, you're not feeling them because they're all weird, right? And so it's another Friday, and they're all, you know, out on a date. And what are you doing? Watching the same Netflix show for the 13th time, and you start to feel jealous or lonely. But let's, everybody say jealous. So you look around and you think, okay, the battle for me right now is if I could just find a person, then I'd be happy. But that's not where the battle starts. Actually, you don't need to get a relationship. You need to get a hold of your jealousy. And that's where the battle actually starts. I just read to you, jealousy is a spirit. Paul says the real battle starts in the spiritual. And a lot of us are trying to fight the battle and we're not even showing up to the right arena. Like we're not even starting in the right place. It's like you're trying to play a game and you're showing up to the wrong field or the wrong court. You're not going to win. When I was, a ten, <laughs> when I was 10 years old, I think I've told you about this guy. There was a guy named Zachary Valenzuela. He still lives in Victoria. He works at Complete 360. Do you know him? Yeah, he's the same size now as he was when he was 12. Yeah, he was, I'm pretty sure he wasn't 12. But anyway, I'm serious. I was like, he's a good mustache and he's like, what's up, coach? I was like, uh -huh. anyway, just who plays baseball? Okay, we do not have a baseball crowd. I was like, bad for serious, like one person. I was like, me? Um, he's like, MLB the show? I don't know. The video game. Okay, so he threw 85 miles an hour at 12 years old. But the field, listen, the field hasn't expanded yet. So he was throwing 85 miles an hour from like the little league mound. So if you were to like measure it out, it'd be like the ball was coming at like 105 or 110 miles an hour. And I'm 10. And so I'm just sitting there, like, I didn't even care to get a hit. I just didn't want to get hit, you know what I mean? I'd just stand there and be like, strike three, and I'd be like, thank God, thank you, Jesus. We're going to eat snacks and celebrate life after this game. And so my, my dad would, I'm dead serious, he was crazy. And, like, I see him at complete nutrition all the time. I'm like, hey, man, like, I'm still scared of him. I'm like, protein powder, please. Um, he don't know that I talk about him all the time. Don't tell him. Anyway. This is, this, this is the point I'm making. Uh, <laughs> my dad would be like, son, you have to stop trying to hit the ball when it's right in front of you. That is not where the pitch starts. He would say the pitch starts when he's right here in his windup. So we would sit there, and my dad would make me find the ball in his hand. And as soon as I saw the ball in his hand, I'd have to take my stride and get ready to swing. Take my stride, get ready to swing. So you see the ball? Take my stride, get ready to swing. Why? He knew I didn't have a shot if I couldn't see where the pitch starts. And when it comes to the battles in your life, you do not have a shot unless you see where they really start. But we're trying to fight these spiritual battles with physical solutions. Paul says, we are wrestling, not flesh and blood, but things in the unseen. Everybody say unseen. Unseen world. So here's my quick advice. When you get uh, in a situation and things get tough, pay attention to the spirit you're feeling, not just the situation you're facing. The spirit you're feeling, not just the situation you're facing. Maybe like your teacher isn't the main problem. Maybe it's the spirit of anger that the enemy keeps tempting you with. And if you could get the anger in you in check, 
then maybe you realize that your teacher's not as bad as you think they are. Maybe failure isn't the main problem. Maybe it's the spirit of worthlessness the enemy tempts you with uh, and makes you feel worthless if you do fail. Or maybe, I don't know, your to-do list and everything you got to do for high school and homework and maybe dual credit. Maybe all of that isn't your main problem. Maybe it's the spirit of anxiety the devil will send to tell you you'll never do a good enough job at it. The battle starts in the unseen, and you cannot keep trying to solve these physical, earthly problems or these spiritual problems with just earthly solutions. So now that we know where the battle starts, let's talk about how the enemy schemes. Everybody say schemes. Paul says something interesting in verse 11. He says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. That's interesting. That kind of scares me. Do you know the devil like strategizes about your life? Like looking. The, the best way I can think about it is like whenever you're in sports, you'll watch game film. You know what I'm talking about? And if you go to public school, it's like every biology teacher is just like a football coach. And all they do is like, all right, sit down. I'm going to watch huddle on my computer and you figure the workout. That is what my biology coach did every day. It's like, okay, cool. Um, anyway, the point of game film is to what? Figure out where your opponent is weak, where they're vulnerable. So if you're watching game film on, you know, some basketball team and they're all my height, then you're like, okay, well, this is going to be easy. Let's just get the rebound and we'll be fine, right? That's what you do. You watch and you strategize to figure out where they are vulnerable. Everybody say vulnerable. Here's the thing. The enemy does the same thing in your life. How the devil schemes. He attacks where you're vulnerable. Let me show you. There's this time in the Bible where Jesus was fasting. Fasting is basically like when you give up food for a certain amount of time to pray and whatever. Jesus had fasted. He hadn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. If you haven't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights, what are you going to be? There's a lot of different answers. You're going, starts with an H. Hungry. Why are you saying gungi? That's not a word. Hungry. So watch. The Bible even says, watch. He tempts where you're vulnerable. Matthew 4, 2. For 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus fasted and became very So what do you think the devil tempts him with? Let me show you. Verse 3, the very next verse. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of The devil tempts him with food because he knows he's hungry. Listen. The devil will always strategize against you when he knows you're vulnerable. He knows how you're hurt. He knows the wounds that you carry, how people have hurt you. He knows like the way you're processing life. He knows, you know, what area you're most likely to slip in at, slip up in at any given moment of your life. So you got to be aware of this stuff. Let me just give you some examples. Like maybe you grew up without one of your parents in your house, right? And so whether you want to acknowledge it or not, there's this feeling of, like, rejection in your heart. You're like, dang. And so you can't even really trust people. The devil's mean. He will attack that. He'll be like, oh, so he already fears rejection. He might lie to you. He might say stuff so that your whole life you have trust issues. You can't develop real relationships with people. You can't develop real friendships with people. Why? He knows where you're vulnerable, so he's going to attack that. Maybe you're heartbroken, and he knows that, oh, they're heartbroken right now. He's going to attack that. He might throw somebody that is not good news for you in your life. You got to be careful. He's smart. 
how he schemes as he looks and he waits. There's a scripture that says the devil left Jesus until a more opportune time. I didn't put it in there, but it just came to me right now as I was talking. That's kind of scary. Like, he was like, mm, I really want to screw his life up, but tomorrow will be better. That freaks me out. And it should freak you out too. Why? We're in a war. The devil attacks where we are vulnerable. Every one of us have vulnerabilities. Do you know yours? Because I know mine. And I challenge you to think about it and ask God to show you the areas of your life you're more susceptible, you know, to fall into temptation or, or fall into whatever the enemy is throwing in your life to mess you up. That's why this series is so important because we got to know how to fight back. And we're going to talk about the weapons next week and the week after. But let me finish not with the weapons, but with your position. Everybody say position. Let me talk about where believers stand. I like to think about it like this. Your stance is always important. Like your, your, uh, your stance is always very important. And so before I even talk about the weapon that you wield, I want to talk, because like what happens if you get in the batter's box and you got, you know, the bat, your weapon, but you're like, I'm going to hit the, like your, like your stance is all jacked up. And Paul's talking about your stance. He says in verse 10, he says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. And then he ends it by saying, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be. He keeps talking about how you're standing. What does Paul mean? What does Paul mean when he's talking about be strong in God's power and, and stand firm? Maybe the best way to explain it is like this. There was a farmer who was with his son and they were sleeping and they woke up and there was just this crazy wildfire in the field, and they knew that, you know, they had to get out of there. So his first priority was to save his son's life, but his second priority was to, you know, try to put the fire out because, you know, his crops were going to burn up, his land, everything. And so he's in the car driving through the flames with his son in the passenger seat, and to the son's surprise, he whips a U-turn, and he goes straight back into the flames, pulls over, and he's like, son, get out. And the son's like, No. He's like, son, get out right now. I got to try to put the fire out. You got to get out of the car. And he's like, dad, there's fire everywhere. But the son gets out. And by this point, he's like crying. And all he can see is fire all around him. And he's like, dad, why are you doing this? He's like, stay there. It's too dangerous. I'll be back for you. And he's like, dad, it's going to hurt me. And he's like, no, it's not, son. And he's like, yes, it is. And he says, dad, it's going to hurt. And he says, no, it's not, son. The, the fire's already been here. It's already burned up everything that there is to burn up in the spot that you're standing. It's not going to cut. There's nothing else to burn. What you got to do, son, you got to understand, you got to stand in the spot that's already been burned. Why am I telling you this? Because the devil wants to burn your life to the ground. But you have to stand firm in the area that's already been burned. What do I mean? I mean this. Jesus was already destroyed. For you so that you didn't have to be Jesus already took the fire and brimstone of God's judgment so that you didn't have to and only when 
you stand firm in God's power and you stand firm in that position, that is the only place that you're safe. You can't even think about wielding a weapon if you're not first standing in the place that's already been burned. What do you mean, Pastor G? Let me give you some examples. For instance, maybe the enemy's trying to attack you and he starts to make you feel like a, like a spirit of worthlessness. And he's like, man, you are so worthless. I can't believe you did that. Whatever, you fill in the blank, but he's trying to tell you you're worthless. That is when you gotta learn to stand in the spot that's already been burned. And you tell him, no, sir, I'm not worthless. And you know why? Because I can look at a cross and I can know how much I'm worth. I know that the Son of God gave his life for me. So don't come at me and tell me the lie that I'm worth it. I was worth the blood of the perfect Son of the living God. And only when I stand in the spot that's already been burned can I actually have the power to fight back. Or maybe you're in here and you're like, man... I've messed up so much. Like, I don't even want to do some of the stuff I'm doing, all the sins that I'm carrying around. And I really do believe in God. But I'm just struggling and I keep sinning. And the devil will come and be like, man, God's probably so mad at you. Like, if you were in the presence of God right now, it would not be a pretty sight for you. He would punish you. He would condemn you. And so you're scared. But that's when you got to learn to fight back. How do you fight? I'll teach you about the weapons, but first you got to go stand in the spot that's already been burned. You got to tell the devil, no, 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 no. God's not mad at me. God's not going to condemn me. God's not going to punish me. You know why I know? Because on the cross, Jesus Christ took every punishment, every whip, every lash that I should have gotten so that I wouldn't have to. So when I'm focusing on the spot that's already been burned, only from that position can I really even begin the fight in the first place. So before Paul gets into the weapons, he's like, think about where you're standing. Stand in God's power. Only when you stand in the spot that's already been burned can you really even fight. So where do we stand? Where do the believers stand? We stand in Christ's victory. Everybody say victory. But listen, the devil does not want the cross and the empty tomb to be real to you. Kind of like Presley was saying, when it goes from here to something you really believe with all your heart, man, mountains move, it's different. But he doesn't want it to be real to you. He wants it to be, you know, some fairy tale. He doesn't want you to know the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Let me explain it this way. There was this chess champion, and he was visiting a museum. And in this museum was a painting called Checkmate. I actually brought a picture. Okay, so if you can see in the painting, the devil on the left, it's kind of arrogantly smiling, kind of looks smug. And there's this guy on the right side. And he looks distraught. From the painting, it looks like he's lost. And it seems very obvious that it's called checkmate because this man is about to lose his soul to the devil. And it's going to be checkmate. So the chess champion is in this museum, and he just becomes fascinated with the puzzle. He's looking at it. You can take it down if you want, but whatever. He's looking at it for hours, just examining it. So interested that he actually goes to his car, gets his chessboard, sets it out at the base of the painting, and he arranges all the pieces to match the picture and the puzzle. And he's looking at it, and he's looking at it, and he's looking at it, and then it finally hits him. <laughs> he grabs the museum worker. He's like, sir, what can you tell me about this painting? And the museum worker's like, I don't know. I just work here. He's like, okay, well, I wish I could talk to the man in the painting. And he says, why do you wish that? He says, because if I could talk to him, I would tell him the 
wipe that troubled look off of his face. He said, I'm a chess champion. I know the game better than anybody else. And what he doesn't see is there's still one move left on the board. And not only that, but he gets to make that last move. And when he makes that last move, it's checkmate. He wins. It was a brilliant painting because it showed a biblical truth. See, all throughout the Bible, follow me. I'm going to give you a quick history of the Bible. All throughout the Bible, it's like a game of chess. You know how chess works? There's moves, counter moves, moves, counter moves. So like, just start at the beginning. God creates the angels to give him glory. But the devil counters that move, and he gets a third of the angels to rebel. So God creates human beings, hoping they'll give him glory. But the devil counters that move, and he gets humanity to sin. So, you know, God tries to use the people of Israel, and the devil counters that move. Israel kind of stinks, and it's just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. The end of the Old Testament is just two sides staring at the chessboard, and you're like, I don't know who the heck is going to win. But then you flip the page, and in the New Testament, God's like, forget this. I'm going to come and uh, just settle this all myself. So he comes as a man named Jesus Christ. But the devil counters that move by trying to get Jesus to sin. Jesus counters that move by not sinning, being the perfect spotless lamb of God, but the devil counters that move by nailing him to a cross and taking his very life. And here, the devil laughed, just like in that painting. And for three days, humanity sat like that guy, looking so distraught, looking so afraid, looking so scared. But there was one more move left on the chessboard. Because what the devil didn't see coming was a move that he didn't even think was possible. What the devil didn't see coming was that three days later, that tomb was going to be emptied. And when that tomb was emptied, every power of death, hell, the grave, sin, your shame, your condemnation, all of that would be thrown out. And Jesus Christ would say, check, mate, it's done. But he doesn't want you to know that. He wants you to be like that guy in the painting Thinking, man, this is it. This is just how it's always going to be. I'm always going to be miserable. I'm always going to be anxious. I'm always going to be depressed. I'm always going to struggle with lust. He doesn't want the power of the death and resurrection and what that means to be real in your life. But I got some really good news from you. There's one move left on the chessboard, and you get to make it. The victory is already yours. But you got to understand, you get to make the move. What do I mean? The devil didn't see the resurrection coming, and he doesn't want you to know that if the Spirit of God is in the inside of you, you do not have to be afraid of him. You do not have to be a slave to sin. You do not have to be a slave to addiction or anxiety. Every power of death, hell, the grave, it bows to the Spirit of Jesus. But the Spirit of Jesus dwells on the inside of you. So guess what? By the Spirit of God, we are, the Bible says, we're more than conquerors. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, it says, Thanks be to God who gives us the what? Victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 37 says, No, in all these things we are more than what? Conquerors through him who loved us. Don't fall for the old trick and the laughing devil. He's got nothing to laugh about. We already won the war, so don't you let him win any more battles on his way to defeat. I'm serious. There's something that happens when your heart knows God is not mad at me. God is for me. I'm standing in his victory. And if he already defeated all of the junk 
that I'm going through, then over time, as you become more and more like Jesus, what you're going to find is you're going to be able to overcome this stuff too. I promise. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in a lot of people's life. But don't fall for his tricks. Let me recap. Next week, we're going to talk about, you know, how we win the battles. But first, you got to know that you can stand firm because the war's over. Where the battle starts. It starts in the non... Good. How the devil schemes. He attacks where and where believers stand. We stand in Christ's victory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. God, I thank you for what you're doing here. Lord, let us know that you've already won the war so that when we're winning the war for our world, we can know that it's pretty much over. Down here, we're going to struggle and whatnot. There are going to be some battles, but the war is taken care of. So God, thank you that we learned how to walk in your strength and how to walk in your power. Hey, I got two questions for you. I always ask this. I, I like to make sure everybody has a chance to leave knowing um, that Jesus Christ is really the Lord and Savior of their life. So if you're in here today and you're like, man, Pastor G, the truth is, I'm not sure that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of my life. I'm not sure that if I were to take my last breath, if I would be, you know, in heaven with Jesus or if I'd be in hell. But if you're in here and something in your heart started to stir and you kind of think you feel God asking you to really commit your life to him, then here's what I want you to do. On the count of three, I just want you to raise your hand. If that's you, you say, I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of my life. On the count of three, would you just raise your hand right where you are? One, two, three. Nobody looking around, just me. See that hand, see that hand. Awesome, awesome. Let me ask you one more question. If you're in here and you say, Pastor G, the truth is at one point I was following God, but I have not been living right. He hasn't really been a priority for me. And today you say, I know I need to rededicate my life to him. I need to start a new chapter. If that's you and you want to rededicate your life to Jesus, on the count of three, would you just raise your hand? One, two, three. Awesome, 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 awesome. Let's do this. Put your hand on your heart and everybody repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner, but I know you're a Savior. Thank you for loving me when I didn't care about you. Thank you for running me down when I was running away. Make me new. And if I fall, Give me the strength to get back up and put people in my path who will lead me to you. I believe that you are Lord. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.